Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KLA. Our guest for this 393rd show is Dr. Timothy Walsh, author and director emeritus of the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library. And we will be talking to him about his book, Irish Iowa. Our history buffs are Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. And Rick, as one of the Irish that could swim, you get to ask the first question. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> you and I knew how to swim, so we fled Ireland going east. Jeez, <laughs> you are slaves to the English. Don't give me your lip. Well, we are still fighting for it. We may get independence, John. Yes, so yes, yes. He's tuned into CNN. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tim, uh, the uh, broadcast portion talked about uh, uh, two separate directions people coming in out of Canada, people coming up through New Orleans. Generally, what was the economic class of the average immigrant coming in? Because you're looking at buying land or setting up a shop or something like that. What Could you give kind of a thumbnail sketch as the average immigrant economically? Sure. Uh, I think that, that there's, there's several different uh, gradations here, and they're really gradations of poverty relative to what we, of course, are accustomed to today. Uh, all of the people uh, from Ireland who came to uh, Iowa, uh, particularly in the 19th century, were impoverished. Some of them had a small amount of money uh, that allowed them to, uh, to, to get started right away with a piece of land, or they pooled their money together and bought uh, as much land as they could and then farmed it together like a, like a common village under the tutelage of a, of a local pastor, for example. Uh, others would work for a while in a, in a trade. Uh, they were uh, building construction, for example, often very unskilled trades. They would work on the, uh, on the railroad, uh, and then what they saved they would use to buy land. So it, it was a combination of ambition, determination, and opportunity uh, that would lead to their success. So those who came initially had a little, a little bit of money, but not a lot. So I'm not sure that the distinction was so great, but they sure had ambition and determination. Right. So can you talk to us a little bit about why... Um, people would choose to to farm rather than go to an urban area. Is it is it just resources, or was it what they had done back home? Or very good. How point. Did that well, first, yeah. First of all, the Irish are a rural people. I mean, when you when you think about it, we in this country we think of Irish Americans with that pork pie hat and that cob pipe. Uh, you know, uh, uh, standing in front of a, uh, of a, uh, a, a pole or a saloon or whatever, and we think of them, oh, they must have all come from urban areas in Ireland, when in fact they were all uh, from small rural uh, farms or estates where they, they grew uh, corn uh, and, and other grains for, for the, uh, the master or the landowner and then had a little bit of land to themselves where they grew potatoes to sustain the family. It's what they knew. Uh, And in fact, what surprised them when they got to this country was that they wouldn't be growing potatoes, that they would be growing grains, uh, and that the land was so rich that that they didn't need the kind of manure and cultivation, and it wasn't going to be played out the way it was in Ireland. So it was what drew them, and it was was that 
that hope, that ambition that, that drove them to, uh, you know, to, to, to put themselves, I said, say, one of the things that amazes me about most Americans is that we uh, descend from people who are willing to get into the, the hulls of leaky boats and travel for weeks at a time, uh, shoulder to shoulder, if not worse than that, uh, to come to a country where often people were hostile to us uh, to, to make a better way. That's what determination is, and that's what risk-taking is, and the Irish were among those people. Okay, um, when we're talking about um, the towns, as an example, the, the one small town that I always think of, and I know it's in Dubuque County, so it's definitely a byproduct of... Uh, of uh, Dubuque, but like Bernard, Iowa. And when you drive around that area, it is completely surrounded by towns that definitely have a strong German heritage. And then when you see Bernard, Iowa, you're like, my God, this popped out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, I mean, and it, it's not something that a lot of Iowans suspect because, again, when you're absolutely right, the number second, the number two most uh, largest number of immigrants are the Irish. Of course, the number one are the Germans. The Germans. So, um, are there noted conflicts between well, towns or rivalries with that over that issue, especially if the well, Germans yeah, weren't Catholic? Sure. There's, there's a certain measure of rivalry. Certainly as we, we developed high schools or these, these little towns grew, uh, and there were natural rivalries among, among children and, uh, at, at the high school level and so forth. It was friendly, one likes to think, uh, not, not necessarily hostile. But what you have, because you have distance, physical distance, uh, you didn't have the kind of tension that you might have had between people living on uh, uh, neighborhoods that were cheek to jowl in big urban areas where an Italian neighborhood might butt up against an Irish neighborhood, up against a German neighborhood, and so forth. So that uh, what you had was enough distance that it allowed people the, the freedom to, to be with their own. Uh, uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, not... Uh, uh, and not have the tension that would lead to, to any kind of friction or violence. That having been said, you could go to a number of these small little Irish communities, like you go down to Monroe, Iowa, Tyrone, and so forth, Melrose, and they had very strong, uh, uh, I don't want to say animosity, but, but uh, 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 criticism of people who weren't Irish. All of that mixes in with the fact that, quite frankly, the most common groups to intermarry in Iowa and across the nation among Catholics are the Irish and the Germans. So somehow those Irish boys ended up marrying German girls and producing <laughs> many of us who are of mixed heritage. Okay. <laughs> um, Tim, I, one of the people in your book that you talked about uh, is Kate Shelley. Can you tell us a little bit about who she is and what she did? Kate Shelley was one of those people who, who became uh, a, almost an instant celebrity, I suppose you could say. Uh, in a, uh, 1887, I think it is, I can't remember the exact year, um, she was uh, 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 at home. Uh, she was the daughter of a, of a man who'd worked on the railroad, Michael Shelley, who had lost his life. Uh, but uh, he had worked on the railroad, their property, he had bought property proximate to the railroad. At any rate, the Chicago Northwestern train was coming through one night after a terrible uh, uh, rainstorm. Uh, and she knew, uh, because she could, she could see, that the bridge had been washed out. And so she had to warn the, uh, the, the station master at Monona to uh, uh, 
warn the the train or to send a message ahead to to the stations to to ensure that the train did not come through, which she did. She crawled her way to Monona. She got the word through, and she became uh, uh, sort of an instant celebrity of sort. Uh, the the uh, uh, people in the, at the railroad and and uh, all across the state uh, feted her. This extraordinary girl. She was a she was a real heroine. And in many ways, uh, she, I, I, I pair her and her heroism, uh, I don't, not literally in the chapters, but I pair her with the Sullivan brothers who in uh, 19, uh, the 1940s were, of course, on the, the, the USS Juno and, uh, and the ship was sank and they became the, the, the symbol of American patriotism. All those brothers died at one time. So occasionally you have these Iowans, these Irish Iowans who rise up and become national Figures, and uh, that certainly is the case with Kate Shelley, who saved the, all the people on that train, and the Sullivan brothers. Um, this will be pretty much the last question. Um, have you gone to? I mean, obviously, you put definitely research in this book. Mm. Uh, did you go to some of the small towns around? How much traveling did it take? I mean, because if you're going to assess again Irish in Iowa, and sure. you've already said that they're pretty from much from river to river. Uh, how much time and effort did it take to correlate this? Well, a lot of it, and folks who look at this book, and I, I'll, I'll be uh, aggressively modest in, in, in talking about the book. This is a, a book is a great introduction for people who want to start to learn a little bit more about their heritage here in Iowa, their Irish heritage. But I tell people, this is really a brochure. It's based primarily on the research that was done by my predecessor scholars. Uh, so as you look, although there's 156 footnotes, um, there's much more to be done, and a lot of it resides in the archives and, and uh, courthouses of a lot of these small Irish communities that, that are here in Iowa. I visited some of them, particularly along the, the, the eastern counties here in Iowa, but I did not get out to the, the, to the, the middle part of the state, nor to Sioux City, uh, much to my dismay. Mea culpa, mea culpa, but <laughs> there's more to be done, more to be done, and so what I did is an introduction this is not, by any means, the definitive book. Okay. We would like to thank our guests for the 393rd show, Dr. Timothy Walsh, author and director emeritus of the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library, who talked to us about his book, Irish Iowa. The history buffs for today's show were Brett Menard and Rick Sweet. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2 88.5 and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A Radio in the search and click on the first icon and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also find ROI on all your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.